Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You want me to swear a lot, right? It's only yes, cursing. Totally. Yeah. Every, every other word. Why Sorry, don't we you? want people to be like, wait, is this about sailors or a football team? <laughs> yeah. A warning. This episode contains some explicit language. Previously on this season. I think it's not good for the students. I think it's not good for the institution to have a program that loses and it's and the expectation is that it will lose. I mean, this is the first year where I feel like nobody's able to make any excuses and everybody has like the most to look forward to. There's not much time to feel sorry for yourself, but I thought this was certainly a winnable game and a game that I think we all would like to play again if we could. At some schools, football is everything, and players are celebrities. A place like the University of Michigan, where Columbia's current boss, Lee Bollinger, used to be the president. At Michigan, as it happens, they're rebuilding their football program, too. And they have an ally, the tens of thousands of people who continue to show up for every game, win or lose. Well, in Columbia's quest to rebuild football, there's something we haven't talked about yet. It's the 8,000 undergraduates the Lions represent every time they step onto the field. A student body that is at best indifferent to the football team, at worst, hostile. Do you know anything about Columbia football? Um, they're not too good. Here are two freshmen, just random undergrads I grabbed on the first day of class. Already, it's like they got the memo in their welcome pack. The Lions are no good. Yeah, I, I knew it since last year when I came on my recruiting trip. Who told you? Uh, the wrestling team. Um, I'm not a huge football fan, but like I've got school spirit, so I expect I'll probably go to a couple games. Know anything about them? I know that we haven't won a game in two years, but that's all I know. Oh, you do know that? Yeah. Where'd you hear that? Uh, It's just general knowledge. Unlike the University of Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida State, Alabama, even Yale and Harvard, where football games are an event, Columbia kind of doesn't care. The Lions need some fans. Hello and welcome to the season. I'm Ilya Meritz. This episode, a football team with its guard up, a student body that doesn't have a lot of time for them, and a kickoff on a dark and stormy night. At many colleges, football players are the big man on campus. Sometimes athletes' celebrity status can even work like diplomatic immunity when a player gets in trouble. At Columbia, not so much. We don't particularly have sports stars. It's more student leaders on campus are the big man on campus. Alexandra Svokos was the editor of Boag, Columbia's answer to Gawker. She graduated last spring. Two years ago, Boag made the rather remarkable decision to stop covering football completely. One reason, the team was not winning games. But what really got Svokos was a cluster of events that reflected badly on the Lions. In the spring of 2013, a player was arrested for assaulting another Columbia student in an alleged hate crime. The charges were later dropped. Days after that, the college radio station, WKCR, dug up dozens of tweets by various football players saying a lot of offensive things about a lot of groups. Asians, Jews, very heavy on the gays. Example, any guy who wears lifting gloves to the gym is a faggot. Kristen Brundage from WKCR says that damaged the team's image with a lot of people. Okay, this is a football team that's getting blown out in all of its games. They just lost 69-0 to to Harvard. They're sitting here making all of these offensive tweets, and no one is really checking them on it. They're just allowed to sit here and represent their team in the university like this, and they're not contributing 
in any other way. And people were saying, okay, is this okay? At the same time, Svoko says, some of Colombia's other sports teams were doing really well and not getting much notice. We have Olympians on the fencing team. We have a baseball team, which has won Ivies for many years, especially recently. Our soccer team was doing well that season, and they're not getting anything. So we decided that's enough. Well, basically, I got sick one night and was like, we're done, calling it all off. For almost two years, the news embargo holds. Then, last month, Blog decides to publish an interview with Al Bagnoli. Hell, he's just been in the New York Times. The man is hard to ignore. And a lot of the players who made those offensive tweets have since graduated. Coach Bagnoli tells Blog his players have all undergone social media training. In fact, it happened on the very first day of training camp. Blog on its website acknowledges Bagnoli is making some pretty big changes and says it will publish, quote, the occasional article about Columbia football. So, detente. Maybe it's in everyone's interest. And Al Bagnoli, he wants his players talking to the media. He says it's good for them. Obviously, it's good for me, too. All right, we'll start with Cam. He's a rising senior and our star running back, awesome. all-Ivy player. So you could, This is WNYC. They're, they're doing that series that I told you about, yeah, the okay. long one. I got you. I got you. When I shook Cam's hand for the first time, I still had football for dummies in the bottom of my work bag, and I felt like I'd been thrown a life preserver. This guy is just so easy to talk to. Cameron Reddy Molina um, from uh, Leesburg, Virginia. I mean, like say going into my senior year, I'm a sociology major here at Columbia. I'm excited. <laughs> the easiest way to put it, I'm excited. So There are actually four Camerons on the team this year, so something was up in the mid-1990s. This Cam, he has amber-tipped dreads. He says gosh more than anyone I know. He's also one of three co-captains and kind of the high priest of team spirit. When you hear this... That's Cam. Do you think your classmates understand, like, the level of time commitment? They don't. They really don't. And, I mean, like, I've gotten close to a couple friends who don't play sports, and so, like, some people have an appreciation for the things we go through here, and some don't. Matt Collette, this show's producer. Who holds you accountable uh, on the field, at school? It's not just you. Who's sort of your system? I want to say it's my core group of guys. I mean, uh, I'm really close with a lot of guys on the team. Uh, I feel confident in saying that. On campus, Cam shares an apartment with a receiver. Down the hall, he has two more buddies from the team. And it's been like this all four years. It's just a system we've kind of created, which is just like, if you're a freshman, you're going to live here with these guys. If you're a sophomore, you're probably going to live here with these guys. So, I mean, it works out. For all seniors, Cam included, this fall is an adjustment. Players don't talk about this much, but from what I can tell, the last head coach, the man who took the Lions through 21 straight losses, his name is Pete Mangurian, was a true drill sergeant. Practice was early in the morning, it was closed to most visitors, there was no music, and playing football was a job, maybe even a grind. Bagnoli tells us all the time, he's like, he can see what the old staff did to us, our mentality, and he's trying to change that. And it's going to take, obviously, the upperclassmen having to lose that old mentality and kind of like relay it onto the younger guys. But it's all, I can really say, it's a work in progress. Deprogramming, a retraining of the mind. Cam says Bagnoli's approach is dramatically different. You've heard this phrase before, make football fun again. You see coaching on TV and in movies and stuff, and it always seems like very harsh, people getting cussed at and everything when you mess up. But he's made it very clear that that's not how we want to do things here. And it needs to be a positive and, like, you know, 
a reinforcing type feeling, especially for your teammates. And being able to kind of feel more comfortable with messing up just so we'll be able to learn from it rather than just focus on our mess up has been a huge difference for us. Having the courage to really look at your own mistakes. It's the only way to learn, if you think about it. Good evening and welcome to Powers Field at Princeton Stadium in the 85th meeting between the visiting Lions of Columbia University and the Princeton University Tigers. Princeton, Friday night, the first Ivy League game of the season, and the first opponent the Lions see truly as a peer. It's Lions versus Tigers. And you can watch it on cable TV. We just turned the calendar from September to October, and just like that, we have extreme fall weather. With nine conference titles already under his belt, Al Bagnoli begins his biggest Ivy League challenge yet. I would normally say that a stadium is a blight on the landscape. But this one is beautiful. It just is. It fits 27,000 people, but sheets of rain are coming down, the temperature just dropped below 50 degrees, and I'd be surprised if there are even 80 spectators in the stands. Very light breeze. It's just rain. Cold rain. It rains on the just and the unjust. Um, we got our ponchos on, wool socks, and um, yeah, I'm right. let's do this. I see uh, like a satellite TV truck here or something. NBC Sports is here. That's kind of exciting. Yes, we're getting wet out here, even under our ponchos. Our mics are sheathed in unlubricated condoms, and they need the protection, old radio trick kids. This is a fun, high-energy game. Trench warfare. Every yard hard fought. The ball is too slippery for spectacular passes. And both the Tigers and the Lions' defense are squeezing their opponents hard. For Columbia, the decisive moment comes in the third quarter when Princeton is punting from its own 23-yard line. The Lions block the kick. The ball bounces back towards Princeton's goal line. And Lions defensive back Jacob Young jumps on the ball in what looks like Princeton's end zone. Up on the Columbia side of the field, the few fans that are here go crazy. This could almost tie the game. Play stops, and what happens next is confusing. There are a lot of shouts and hand gestures on the field. And in the end, the play is declared not a touchdown, but a safety. It's worth just two points. The Lions are now down 10-5. On the sidelines, Coach Bagnoli's body language is only too easy to read. He's sucking in his lips, shaking his head. The Lions never manage a touchdown. The score remains the same. That's the end of the ballgame. The final score, the Princeton Tigers 10 and the Columbia Lions 5. Obviously, I'm disappointed for our kids. They deserve better fate than what they got. We meet Coach after the game in a cavernous concrete passageway outside the locker room. From here, you can see the soggy field where the Lions were beat. You know, it was one of those frustrating days that, you know, everybody knows we're showing improvement. Everybody knows we're playing better. Everybody knows, you know, that we're on the right track, and yet we still don't have anything to show for it. If there were bright spots, it was the defense and Cam Molina, who carried the ball 106 yards. Yeah, I thought he was the workhorse. You know, the, the weather conditions obviously weren't favorable to throw the ball a lot, so we had to establish a run game, and, uh, you know, I thought he was front and center. But for all that effort on Cam's part, the result was a single field goal, three points. You know, we need to get more explosive plays on offense. We had too many four- and five-yard plays, and we got to get some 20- and 30-yard plays, and... You know, it's something that we're going to continue to try to create. Two days later, all eight running backs are seated around a conference table in the Bill Campbell Sports Center. 
Running backs coach Todd Gilchrist has his red dot laser pointer buzzing over footage from Friday's game. It's a little blurry. After only a few minutes, I can feel my blood sugar level drop. It's hard paying attention. And yet, Cam Molina and the seven other running backs are completely focused. There is no crosstalk, no cell phone in sight. All right, does everybody see it the same way? Okay. And as well as Cam played against Princeton, a lot of what Coach Gilchrist has to say is about how Cam could have been a little bit better. Square your shoulders. Position yourself closer to the quarterback. Turn a five-yard play into a 30-yard play. We had 15 plays uh, set up going into the game. We ran all 15 before we went away from them. For that to be the case, that shows, one, that you guys were out there fucking kicking their ass. Right? But at the same time, we're hurting ourselves with little things. So we're, we're one mistake away from making putting 21 points in the first quarter, all right, but we end up with zero points in the first quarter because of mistakes that we made. And Cam, being Cam, takes it all with grace. He's even smiling. He wants to learn from mess-ups. He's motivated. After meeting him for the first time back in August, I googled Cam Molina and found his name in a 2012 story in the Washington Post titled, Black Parents Who Made Sure Their Sons Succeeded in School. The quote from Cam is funny. He says, it was kind of annoying, to be honest, to always have someone looking over your shoulder. We all had goals set from probably about 6th, 7th grade of what we wanted to do from that point. College athletics was a thing, and so we had a lot of our parents. So I had a couple friends whose dads were in the NFL, played college ball, so we got a nice, like, you know, uh, mix of, like, you know, parents that were just very involved with their kids' lives that had a lot of connections. So, I mean, like, coming up, I had, like, a lot of... A lot of exposure to, like, you know, the college athletics and everything. So that's just, I knew what I wanted to do from a while ago, so. Would you say it, put, it actually put you on oh, the path here? definitely, on? definitely. I mean, especially to end up in an Ivy League school. They, their main focus was academics. So, I mean, we would have homework uh, sessions after school. So it was like we'd go into a classroom. We'd have our teachers who, if, like, we needed anything, they would tutor us, ha- answer any questions we had. I definitely contribute that to, you know, where I am today. Guidance matters. Setting expectations affects the outcome. We've been telling you how a coach with the best record in his league is now at the helm of the team with the worst record. These are almost perfect conditions to test the proposition that the right leader can make a difference starting right away. And in some ways, it's bearing fruit. The Lions have almost tripled their rushing yards per game, and they're giving up far fewer yards on defense. But the only stat most people understand is not going their way. They're now 0-3 for the season. So I just need everybody to stay together, okay? Trust me, I'm as frustrated as anybody in this room, okay? And it's always good to have a wife who can kind of calm you down and just kind of put things in perspective. It's good to have a wife. These guys do not have wives. And even the girlfriend contingent is not really noticeable at games. Okay? And I'm trying to give it to you guys to put things in perspective. Okay? That's a 3-0 and football team you just played against that scored 37 points against you last year in the rain home. So they're losing better. Around every sports team, there's a kind of wall that's there for self-protection. Under the last coach, Pete Mangurian, this wall grew higher. Partly this was his approach. Partly it was a response to a student body that had soured on the team. The arrival of Al Bagnoli is a chance for the Lions to reverse that, to remove some bricks from the wall. On Fridays now, the Lions practice on campus. This is a new thing, something that may have not happened since men wore leather helmets and their socks pulled up high. 
I just walked out. I was like, this is interesting. Let's, let's check it out. Just the sight of it stopped Vivian, a senior, in her tracks right in front of Butler Library. This is the most I've actually ever seen the football team in my past four years here. So it's kind of interesting. I thought this was like a ploy to get people interested, which it would have been a really good one. This just steps from Broadway, from the subway, from everything New York City has to offer. I think Columbia, the biggest problem that anyone will tell you with it is that it's a disjointed community. Again, Kristen Brundage from the student radio station. And it's funny because this is the thing that people always want more of out of Columbia. They're like, I want it to feel like a real school. I want to feel that sense of school spirit and camaraderie. And I just think, you know, football can be that just as easily. Not fencing, not crew, football. The satisfaction you can only get from sitting in a coliseum with thousands of people, fellow students, watching your army try to annihilate the enemy. Even straight-A, hyper-politically aware students could get into that. Of course, it would help if the Lions would win one. Coming up on the season. The Lions' fourth game this fall, their fourth chance to win, they face Wagner College, one of only three New York City institutions of higher learning with a football program. What makes a great coach? This came into our mailbox from Jason. He says it was Billy Ruff, a high school wrestling coach, who told him to quit the wrestling team, go ahead and pursue journalism. And he said, don't worry about it, you know, when I had to, 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 to quit the team. He goes, you'll do more for this sport doing what you're doing now than you ever will for me on a wrestling mat. And that was 20, almost 20 years ago. To this day, I think about that quote frequently. Today, Jason Bryant is a working sports journalist in Minnesota. Send us your voice memo about the coach who told you to quit or to stick with it. Tell us how they helped you have a breakthrough. Doesn't have to be about sports. The email is theseason at wnyc.org. The Season is produced by Matt Collette and mixed by Casey Means. We're edited by Karen Frillman with Sean Bowditch and Charlie Herman. Jim Schachter is WNYC's vice president for news. Some of the music you've heard was recorded by the Columbia University Marching Band. I'm Ilya Meritz. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>